An Instagram post gets an unexpected boost. A TikTok catches in the algorithm. Sometimes that's all it takes to launch someone into internet fame. But then what? This Blew Up is a new podcast documentary that reveals how social media stardom is made. It's a different kind of fame that's not always as glamorous as it looks. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Alyssa Bereznak. You can listen to This Blew Up on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one moment, and available lounge seats that unwind you the next, visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. Earn up to 3% daily cashback on every purchase every day. Then grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card subject to credit approval. Savings available to Apple Card owners subject to eligibility. Savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC. Terms apply. It's the Prestige TV Podcast. My name is Bill Simmons here with Joanna Robinson. Special guest, the mother of dragons, Mallory Rubin. We are taping this. It is 7.30 Pacific time, Monday morning. Couldn't get screeners from HBO last night. Had to watch this live with the rest of America. The tragic demise, the hilarious demise of Tanya leading the way. But I, I thought this was a satisfying thrill ride. I love the entire season. I almost don't even have any negative notes. It was just, uh, it was the rare, great 2022 show. Every show is like a B plus now. Here's a show that I absolutely loved. I'm going to miss it immensely. And I really hope there's season three, A plus from this guy. What do you have, Joanna? I can't believe you can say that while a season of Yellowstone is currently airing, right, Mallory? Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah, no, a, a definitely solid A for me. Solid, solid A. Um, I love this finale. I thought it was incredible. And like, as people have been saying all season, like the who who died, who did it, all of that sort of stuff is interesting. But I found everything else maybe even more interesting. And that's, I think, a, a hugely successful White Lotus finale. Mal? Mal? <laughs> Wonderful. Great season of TV. What a joy to be here with you both. I feel as though I am sitting on the cliffs in Sicily, looking out at the stunning vista, enjoying a heaping platter of croissants and Mm. pasta and fresh fruit picked right from the orchard at our resort. This was a a real joy. I'm also devastated that it's over. I know that White Lotus is like a vacation and we really should reserve it for that special treat every year, but I would be happy if another season started tomorrow. I really would. So did you watch Mike White's thing on HBO Max afterwards? It's like four minutes. It's always weird to see Mike White because he was one of the stars of Chuck and Buck, one of the weirdest movies of the 21st century. And he was the weird guy in the movie. So whenever I see him, I just am like, oh yeah, he's a real person. He's not the guy from the movie. But he, he laid it out. He said season one was about money. Season two was about sex. And then he was like joking about season three. It was like, maybe I'll go in a different direction. But he was clearly obsessed with the theme of sex, which we were guessing from the point of the show. Um, 
but the the Jennifer Coolidge as Tanya, her demise. He loved the fact that she was in control of her destiny until the bitter end by, by basically falling off the boat. I liked how they did it. I also thought that was a really cool scene. Joanna, what'd you think of just the filmmaking aspect of that scene of her going into the little cabin, yeah. getting the gun, finding the rope, all that stuff? I thought that was like a riveting three minutes. I loved how it was shot. I mean, I think as soon as... Um, Nicolo's gun, which is what I'm calling Quite Chekhov's literally, gun from now yeah. on. Like, we had Chekhov's like, gun in the yeah. show. <laughs> as soon as yeah. like I saw that little black bag with him, I was like, okay, here we go, right? Um, but I thought Coolidge was so good in this episode, and I loved uh, exactly the filmmaking, the way that you're in her point of view. You don't know, you know, you you know she's hit Nicolo, but you don't know where else her bullets have hit home until you see the absolute carnage. Um, on the ship and yeah. And, and it's, I mean, I, I, once it all started, I actually didn't think she was going to make it out alive and she didn't, but, um, I liked how surprising it was the way that it, that it unraveled. Yeah. Now just jump in the water and then climb into the boat. Come on, Tanya. What are you doing? You're just going to try to land in the boat from 20 feet up? What are you doing? Take your heels off. Also, there were there were stairs down, right? Behind her, weren't there? Yeah. I have some notes on the dismount. I think she panicked because she had just... I think she panicked because she had shot four people <laughs> and just like blacked out. That's kind of what makes it, to Mike White's point in the, in the inside of the episode, like a perfectly Tanya-esque conclusion, though. All of the different strands and elements of her personality and the parts of her arc and journey that we've at least gotten to witness in these two seasons of TV are present there, right? There's this kind of like unbelievable surge of potential and capability. And I love Joe's point about the, the point of view because that felt like a real encapsulation of one of the missions of not only this season, but the show, which is like how much of what is unfolding is about perspective. And so the fact that we are entirely mm -hmm. seeing yeah. that through her perspective and we've pieced together a lot over the course mm. of the finale about what is actually unfolding, these connections between Quentin and Greg, et cetera. But there is, even at the end, still a lot of questions and a lot of mystery. And that's kind of like preserved and intact in a nice and satisfying way because of how micro-focused we are on e each individual character we're with, the fact that Tanya is able to take out all of these heavies, like, we know that Nicola walks around with that gun all the time and she dispensed with him in seconds, right. but can't, can't just, like, climb down the side of the boat or do something more sensible there is, like, so of a piece with everything we've heard across two seasons about this like self-defeating nature at the very end of what could otherwise be a good thing. It was like so sad, but so Tanya. Something I loved about the post episode, uh, you know, package that they put together is I think Mike, Mike White described her death as kind of like derpy, this derpy death for Tanya. But they showed the little clip of her falling off the boat while he's talking about that. And she just hits with a splash. But in the episode itself, they added that like yeah, sound of her yeah. hitting metal. You know what I mean? That <laughs> yeah. like post episode Foley that they put in of, of like, no, she's. She's dead. Yeah, that's that's what happened. I thought the high-end gays were just incredible villains in the last episode where every time you saw them, they're talking about her, but then they're like, there she is. <laughs> and they, and they, uh, they were just elite, elite, elite bad guys to the bitter end. Like even near the end, I'm like, are, are they definitely trying to kill her? Like I, you couldn't even totally like 100% buy in that they were that sinister, but they definitely were, I think. 
I do have some questions. I mean, like as soon as Mateo started crying, I was like, oh, okay. All right. Um, but when she opens the bag, she finds rope and like the three most ominous items in a bag, yeah. right? Rope, duct tape, yeah. and a gun. But my question is Yeah, there was no skin, no ski mask. I don't know where the ski mask was. It was the only thing missing. And like uh, the plastic sheeting. That's what the C is for, you know. You don't know you don't need plastic <laughs> sheeting if you're uh, doing the murder out on the Ionian Sea. But this is my question. Yeah. Someone was asking me this morning, what was the plan? Like, why take her into the harbor near the hotel. Why not just do this in Palermo where you have like complete control of the crime scene at the villa? I have so many questions about the, the, the death plan from the high end gaze. First of all, why not just roofier? You're, you're pouring her wine. Just put like, are, were they afraid she was going to get like tested or whatever? Second, I, can there be an easier person to kill than Tanya? I would say she's like a 10 out of 10 for easy target. She's drunk all the time. She's not an athlete as we saw her falling <laughs> off the boat. They have this mafia guy. This is his job to kill people. This was their plan. They're taking her in the boat. Were there weights on the boat? Were they going to throw her off? What were they going to do? Like rope and duct tape is that's classic kind of kidnap material. That's not murder. I don't know. So like there was a part of oh, me. So you think it was a kidnapping possibility? No, I think, I mean, and Mike White described it as a, a death plot in the post episode yeah. interview. So that, that's that ties like. that up. But I was like, up until the end, I was like, what was the plan? You know, and, and was there a chance that she was mistaking like this threat on her life was actually something else, but no. Or change the cocaine and put like some heroin slash fentanyl in there on one of the lines and that's it. She's dead that It night. feels like they had to pull her into, you know, the bay there so that her body could be discovered there so that we could start Good the show point. that way. Yeah, yeah. And, and, well, and yeah, because like that can preserve in, in theory some sort of cover. Even Tanya pieces together that Greg went back so he'd have the alibi. So if she's discovered in the sea in front of the resort that she's staying in, in theory it can... It could be an accident. I guess not if they shoot her or tie her up and duct tape her and then drop <laughs> her over. But certainly that would eliminate the like anything that, that could be traced back to a tax report. But like to the question of was the plan definitely 100% to murder her the entire time. That's certainly like where everything that Portia and Tanya are discussing and then Tanya deducing after the fact the Greg aspects of it lead us because he needs her to be dead so he can cash in. But with Quentin, there is, even inside of all of this madness at the end, that little, like, question still because when they have that... absolutely wild exchange once again about the plazas and preserving these old buildings. And Tanya has that like genuinely hysterical line. Like there aren't enough people out there that are worried about old buildings. That's the Imagine funniest that being line one of the, the last things finale. you said in your entire <laughs> life. Right. But Quentin says, so glad you agree. And there was a part where I was of me where I was like, is he still planning to just make the fundraising pitch? Like, is there a, a, a path forward here that doesn't yeah. involve a death? And are all of these trappings, Niccolo, the bag, et cetera, the last resort, not necessarily plan A. Though to the Mateo point, Joe, clearly he's not not thrilled about no. how this is going down, has really developed an attachment to sweet Tanya and uh, refused to go on the yacht and participate. So we have a lot of loose ends. Hugo got away. The last thing that he saw was his partners in crime murdered. And the last thing he heard, basically, other than the gunshots, was Tanya didn't know his name. So that's a tough one for Hugo there at the end. Portia obviously knows all this. Jack is out there. Mateo's back at the Palazzo. Captain's the captain. still alive. A lot yeah. of loose ends. Well, and that's what that was something that was intriguing that Mike White hinted at. I don't know if he was just kidding or whatever, but in the post-episode interview, he was like, does Greg get away with it? Right. 
maybe we'll find out in a future season. And I just have to say, like, if John if John Grace ends up being the like linchpin of this entire franchise, immaculate. No, it was Greg all along. We thought it was Tanya, but Greg's really the recurring character. <laughs> I I mean, if you were be- betting who was going to be out of anyone on the show on season three, I think Greg would be the number one candidate, right? The, I have some questions about the high-end gays. How, so did they have money or they didn't? Because they had that Palermo house. Why did they have all those pictures in there? It makes it seem like it's their house. Why is there a picture of Quentin and Greg in this house if they didn't own it? What was the point of putting that there? I think they own the Palazzo, but like um, Quentin was constantly talking about the cost of the upkeep and also, you know, their high-end lifestyle or whatever. So So they're running out of money. Yeah, and there was a conversation much earlier in the season, not with this set of characters. It was actually Cameron and Daphne. They were talking about their trip to Venice previously and noting how all of these European aristocrats have these grand palazzos, but they have no cash. And even though they have no cash and they're not liquid in any way, they treat these visitors like bugs. And so that kind of sets up that this is just very much like a thing, right? So yeah, the, the, the Palazzo is his home, but like he has nothing to maintain it and he needs to run these cons and or murders <laughs> in order to generate cash. You know the old saying, Palazzo rich, cash poor? I feel like that's uh, <laughs> how we describe Quentin. It's tough for So Quentin. Coolidge really becomes famous in American Pie as Stifler's mom. And this is, we're going back to 1999. That was kind of her breakout moment. And that was a massive movie. That was an iconic character. That was like the forefront of the the whole concept of a MILF. I think she was like the George Washington of it, basically. That's where I learned that phrase, 100%. From John, from John Cho in American Pie. <laughs> right, she does the Chris Guest movies. Yeah, and, beca- and that kind of cements yeah. her as a as a really good comic actress. Best in show, yeah. Best in show yeah. is where she like cements this persona All that she uses. Yeah. And then Legally Blonde kind of cements the, I'm not just Stifler's mom, like I'm actually like, if I'm in a movie, it's kind of fun. And then rides that for the next 20 years. But I, I honestly think this was her apex mountain this last episode. And I'll be interested to see what they do. This show will get all the Emmy nominations, right? This will just clean up left and right all over the place. But man, you're talking about that, that third episode with Aubrey Plaza. You're talking about Coolidge in this last episode. And then Megan Fahey, who I want to do winners and losers with you too. I Megan Fahey, I think was probably the winner of the show just from like, I didn't know who that was before this show. Now I feel like I, I'm like, is she like an A-list actress? What's co-? Like I, I thought her character was kind of the one who won the show in a lot of different ways. But I thought the actress, um, when you just talk about somebody who's in a different spot than they were eight weeks ago, I, I think she has to be number one. So anyway, um, Joe, who do you think it's some, one of these actresses is going to win that award. Who is it for you? Um, I mean, you can, you can go lead in supporting, right? So like we've, we've got a couple options. Oh, interesting. But so that, then that opens the sex workers up for supporting. Well, yeah. And I would say that like me and Lucia are, if you're talking about characters who won the season, I would say me and Lucia get their victory walk down the street at the end of the episode or the winners. Um, but Megan Fahey, I think I completely agree with you in terms of someone who's like stock is on the rise, uh, post, 
um, I know we talked a lot about Theo James, but he had already been in a, in a couple high profile things. And I think that Mal had already seen his penis before this, <laughs> she was like, this season. So, but yeah, Megan Fahey, there's been a lot of clips circulating. Um, she's a, she, I think she got her start, um, on Broadway and, and the stage as she has an incredible singing voice. So there's all these clips of her singing that have started to circulate on various social media oh, wow. platforms. And so I think, I think if people musical. are looking to cast, I mean, you know, I love a musical, <laughs> um, but if, if White Lotus season three wants to be a musical, that's great. But, but I think in general, General, if people are looking to cast someone out of the season, I think they would probably look for Megan Fahey. For sure. I agree with you. I'm going to break Mal's heart right now. You know who she's dating in real life? <gasps> Allegedly. This is word on the street. I don't know if I'm breaking news. No idea. The guy who plays Albie. Oh, well, he was. they were at a hockey game. Is that right? Interesting. Yeah, I think they're, they're hanging out in real life. Um, Adam DeMarco. Yeah. I thought that scene with Ethan. Yeah. That scene with Ethan, when he tells her, I think something's going on with them and her face drops for a second. And then she kind of gets it back together. Yeah. I just thought everything she did in that two minutes was as good as anything we saw this season. In general, she was the most, she turned out to be the most interesting character. You had a feel for every character on this show, except Mal. I don't know. She knows the guy's a scumbag that she's married to. Yeah. She's accepted it. She might her older son might not be his son. There's that moment when he's like cleaning his teeth and she's like, come yep. talk to Bobby or whatever. And he kind of <laughs> makes that face for a second. Like oh, yeah. this kid's not even my fucking son. Um, they, there's still more to unpack with her, which is why I am hoping she's in season three. Okay. I think she comes back. She's your pick for the recurring like, character. She comes back with two friends. It's like a little mini bachelorette party for one of her other friends. She doesn't have any friends. No, she has two. She has two from college that she hasn't <laughs> talked to in a while. Brings them to White Lotus season three, and we get to unpack some more, Mal. What do you think? Well, as as Joe's alluding to, she did previously tell Harper that she doesn't have any women in her life, that she doesn't have any female friends, that she hasn't maintained those friendships. And I think that... Camp friends? Maybe from camp? Well, that, from I mean, when she talk was 12? about the thrill of Juliette Lippman's life if we connect White Lotus <laughs> to camp in some way. I mean, <laughs> the ringer true. might never be the same after that. But yeah, it, that that incredible moment that you're that you're referencing, Bill, where her face just sinks for a second before she kind of summons this composure and what is ultimately i think you know we've gotten these these ideas that that Daphne shares with with Ethan here it many times from her before across this the season and i think every one of the characters taps into one of the central aspects of what Mike White is interested in exploring but i think this 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 bit right here from Daphne is kind of like the mission statement of what he was interested in this season, right? It's like, what compromises are you willing to make with yourself to pursue your ver version of happiness? And to that friendship point, like, yes, I think there's the Cameron stuff when she's hearing this, but I think she was like, wow, Harper too? Like this person that she had bonded mm. with over this week and really like revealed this vulnerable side of herself and shared things with her that to the point where she had to say to her, Hey, like I said, I was pretty high last night. I said some stuff like, I hope we can keep that between us. And Harper's just now one other person who for, for Daphne has like wronged her in some way or that they couldn't hold on to this thing that they had fostered. And that was like really tragic too, in part because we know that from Harper's perspective, that was never really interesting to her, even though I think like almost against the logic in her mind, she found herself really warming to Daphne in those middle episodes. And the fact that Ethan and Harper kind of become 
Cameron and Daphne in the yeah. finale, even though they were so actively rebelling against not e- frankly, like, yes, them as people, but and Cameron specifically as a person, but much more so like the way they like told themselves things were okay, the way that they presented this facade to from Harper and Ethan's perspective of happiness, and to like simultaneously fall into that, but also kind of realize and embrace that it wasn't really that simple and that inside of what other people might think is like a facade or the way that you convince yourself that something is okay, like you actually can find the thing that gives you some version of peace, even if it's fleeting and even if it's entwined with pain. I don't know. That felt like very true to life to me in a way that I thought was pretty incredible inside of this finale. I, I, I loved everything with the couples. I loved I the the way in which Ethan and Harper emerge much more Cameron and Daphne than they were when they started is so good. And I think also the way that you see the DeGrasso men at the airport and Albie is turning his head every much the way that his father and his, and his grandfather is. That was great. How they were layered one after another of the generations. And so I think that idea that like the, the two most like people in love with their own virtue, which were Albie and Harper, the way in which they turn into the thing that they had the most disdain for is such an interesting journey on this, on the show. And it, and it completely works for me. I loved it. Mal said something interesting when she was talking about the facade of happiness. I think that's kind of what the white Lotus is about. That was really the common thread between season one and season two, other than the wealth. It's just these people that if you glance at them from afar and they're on a vacation, you're like, oh, they have it going. It's like Connie Britton's character in season one, right? It's like, oh, look at that family. It's a nice family, super wealthy. She's really successful, but I'm envious of those people. And then you dive into their world. It's like, no, actually don't be envious of anything going on here. And that's, it seems like that's what Mike White cares about. I think that's partially true, but I think also, you know, he talked about how season one was much more about class than season two. But if you look at this season and you look at the different strata of people, you've got like the rich, the people who are like pretending to be rich and then the working class, like the Mia and Lucia friendship and bond is like the healthiest relationship on the show. Yeah. And then what Mia offers Valentina, which is like helping her discover her sexuality, but not trying to deceive her. She's like, listen, but you need a real gay woman to like be your partner and I'll help you. And, and sure in exchange, she I get to job like play the yeah. piano for sure. But like, there's still something, you know, kind of pure about that. And then also let, lest we forget the only pure lovers of the season, Isabella and Rocco. So I feel like the working <laughs> class is like the, the place where you can find sincere emotional connection. And it's only in these upper echelons of, of the rich visitors where you have to have that artifice spackling over, you know, all these other problems. I, I think like it's a great point. And then within that, if we look at characters like Portia and Jack, they're not happy at the end because they are being so yeah. actively used by the wealthy and by the people or the <laughs> people seeking to maintain or or uh, the, the, regain their wealth. People in positions of the power. Working, working pawns. Yeah, pawns. Exactly. And like Lucia and Mia have their journey this season is a about like breaking free of anybody else's ability to control their lives. And so like, I love that 
even though Mike White really clearly like laid out those distinctions of of central focus across seasons one and two with with class and sex, like there are such clear and present through lines, not only in how those things connect to each other inside of the show, like you're saying, Joe, but power as as this great connective tissue between both, right? And so like characters who are able to, I think that's the other thing about that facade of happiness idea, Bill. It's like, Yes, what you're identifying is definitely right. There's that great kind of classic Anna Karenina idea of like happy families, unhappy families, right? And this thing that the true thing that connects all people is that like you can never really be content. But even if Harper and Ethan have gotten to the place that they originally judged, okay, you are going through your life with this person you don't really like. It's like that part wasn't true. Cameron and Daphne love each other and they are happy together. They also are miserable together and they also make each other unhappy. And those things are not actually mutually exclusive. And there's a complexity there that I think is kind of amazing. And so that idea of power and control, like one of the decisions that Harper and Ethan have made consciously, though maybe that conscious level is something you continue to assess. And I think the fact that Mike White at the end was like, yeah, like, Cameron's not going to change. Yeah, Cameron and Daphne are happy together. But like, is there this looming cloud on the horizon? Probably. And like, that feels very true for a lot of these different characters. They've made that decision to pursue their version of happiness, though. Like, there's an active quality to it that I think feels like the shift. And so like that central idea of White Lotus. Hold on. But wait, they're full of shit, though, because the toast is so important at the end. When they, mm. they sit with each other, he's got the black eye with the cut under. He's like, all right, to good friends. And and he goes around the thing and it's like, how are you toasting? This guy just punched you and tried to drown you seven hours ago. What is happening? Well, and like Harper, Harper and Ethan can't believe it, but they stay at the table. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then they look so genuinely cozy and content yeah. at the airport. Yeah. Like genuinely cozy yeah. and content. And so um, I I... I I both agree that it is a realistic read that um, I think what does Daphne say? Like, you don't have to know everything about someone to love them, right? Like that that's true, that some sort of like selective willful blindness is probably useful in life. But Mm. it's also very, it's a pretty cynical read also of, you know, the way we live now. Well, that's that's what Mallory and I deal with with our spouses who have... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who have bought into our weird worlds many years ago and are just kind of uh, stuck with us now. God. Ethan. What a finale for Ethan. Are you two going to apologize to Ethan? No? No, no, no. no. I Actually, let's, no. I want to take a break. <laughs> I want to take a break and I want to do uh, a couple losers. but And then I have more winners. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. Earn up to 3% daily cashback on every purchase every day. Then grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card subject to credit approval. Savings available to Apple Card owners subject to eligibility. Savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC. Terms apply. Fussing with plastic cards should be a thing of the past. Instead, pay the Apple way. Apple Pay is easy, secure, and built into iPhone. All you have to do is set it up. Just add a card in the wallet app, and you're good to go. 
This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one moment, and available lounge seats that unwind you the next, visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. So. For winners so far, I have Daphne slash Megan Fahey, definitely Mike White and HBO because HBO just continues to pull this off where they have this show that hits the zeitgeist over and over again. They're able to do it, what, three times a year? They're just able to own these Sunday at nights. Least. Yeah. And you look at tre- the, tre- not that Twitter trending is everything, but you look at Twitter trending last night and it was like five different White Lotus things at one point. I have, I have a, for a loser. So the Ethan Harper relationship, uh-huh. which was fine. We got to the finish line with where it went, but I did feel like it started to get kind of one note by the sixth episode and then seventh episode, same thing where it was just kind of Ethan with this sociopathic face and like, tell me what happened. And I don't know. I, I didn't feel like, you know, like I, I thought what he did with the three generations, they yeah. kind of phased them out a yeah. little bit as the last couple episodes went along because it was like, ah, we kind of did this. And with Ethan and Harper, I don't know. I just felt like they were just kind of running it back. The same version of the same thing, probably around episode four on. I got kind of bored of it by episode seven. So that's like a mild loser for me. You you agree with that, Joe, or no? Um, I think that Will Sharp was the best when Ethan was unraveling, right? Like that, you know, the sort yeah, of I would agree. hemmed in performance that we saw at the beginning kind of pays off when we see him come undone at the end. But overall, I would say that Ethan is the character that worked the least for me. But in a but in a me too. series where Everything else is extraordinary. To be just merely good is a, a great achievement. What do you think, Mal? You want to make your impassioned defense of Ethan? Well, Mal's, Mal's <laughs> biased, Spiller. but go ahead, Mal. Cool. Do, your, do your defense just because you liked him. Folks, what a sincere privilege to get that <laughs> Ethan Harper sex scene in the finale. Mount Etna is not the only thing erupting. Okay. The fire in my loins <laughs> watching this. Woo! What a thrill. No, I mean, I I really, Bill, I think to your point about like balance, I feel the same way about the DeGrasso clan. I would have loved to have more time with them. I felt particularly cheated out of more time with Bert in the finale. Like we we got Me two too. lines. That was kind of, I, I would have loved more, more room for, for those three generations. But I, again, I think like to me, Daphne and Cameron and Harper and Ethan are inextricable from each other, their plot lines. And so like this idea of this idea of like absorbing something about somebody else that you pretty actively despise and that being key to unlocking something about your own satisfaction, even if that's a little bit like surface level or fleeting is really interesting to me. So I think like what those, those characters unlocked thematically was probably my favorite part of the show. Even if every minute with them wasn't always as compelling as some of the other character sets. Mm. I mean, I would completely agree in terms of, you know, the, the way in which Mike White calls, called this season a bedroom farce with teeth. 
Yeah. Like the Cameron and Daphne and Ethan and Harper. Like that's that's the bad that's the the spouse swapping bedroom farce right. with teeth. You've, like, we've literally that, got a connecting door. Yeah. <laughs> between that's, their that's bedrooms. What it is. Yeah. Um but I just think of that four person team. Yes. And I don't need to hammer this because like Will Sharp is extremely talented and is like written and directed incredible things. But like of that four person team, I would just call him the weaker link of of those four. Joe, characters. what'd you what'd you think of the decision not to show either a fair trist yeah and which i think was definitely intentional Great because question. he wanted to leave it not only to the imagination of the characters yeah. but to the imagination of us watching it like they you know one of the key moments in this last episode is ethan and daphne hey let's go take a walk to that other island over there it looks great and she's so starting Bella, to yeah. give the sex vibes but we don't know what happened. Like, did she blow him? Did they have sex? What happened? Um, You're asking the yeah. same questions Ethan asked Harper. Did you blow right. him? But I, I mean, I love. Th- but but I love this, right? I love this. But at the same time, I feel very certain yeah. as to what happened, okay. which is that Ethan and Daphne definitely fucked on that island, and Karen and Harper didn't, and that's what I think is yeah. true. They probably went at it in the lobby, and then the the door. I think what he envisioned. What was that at the beginning of mm. episode six? Yeah. yeah. When he the saw them table. kind of going at it and then the door knocked and they scat. I think that's probably what happened. I mean, what's entirely possible. And again, I don't want to crib off someone who was talking to me about this this morning, but like what is entirely possible is like it would have happened if he hadn't shown up at the room. You know what I mean? But like, yes. um, but I don't think it did happen. Why didn't he ask that? That was so interesting to me. Like, yeah. Because, because Harper was so focused on, it was just like a, you know, a, a two, a two second kiss. It meant nothing. Right. I was drunk. And then I loved one of the moments I liked the most in the finale. It was so, it was so small. But when Ethan's like, so it wasn't about the hat, you know, like the, and you'd, right. you'd say, well, why are you harping on the she hat? Laughed. But like, yeah, because, yeah. The, because that was, that's the intentionality of it. It's like, so you went up to right. the room to fuck this guy. And the fact that you yeah. didn't doesn't mean that that wasn't why you went up there in the first place. So I was so surprised that he didn't say, well, what if I hadn't knocked? Right. Like if the whole thing is you came up so quickly and there's still that that miss the math of the missing time. But like, well, what if he hadn't? Then what? I agree with Joe. I think like. I also feel that that Ethan and Daphne fucked. Mm -hmm. Me too. But the two things. One, if we think back, because like, where are they? That that Isolabella, that little island. Joe, you know, it made me think of. High Tide on House of the Dragon with the little oh, yeah. <laughs> sand bridge. Amazing. 100%. We need to go. We need to access a uh, castle at some point via via sand bridge. But great. You and me, Cicely, <laughs> when? That's the question. <laughs> when Quentin was telling Tanya about that locale and the history of it earlier in the season, she's talking about the powerful investors in the history of this, this person who lived there. She said, there were these powerful local investors, if you know what I mean. Excuse me, he said, Quentin, this is Quentin. There were these powerful local investors, if you know what I mean, who wanted the house, wanted the island, but the old battle axe wouldn't budge. They made her all kinds of offers, and then one day her body was found in a heap at the bottom of the rocks. And so, like, they could have gone anywhere for that moment. We could have had this approach to any location in Sicily, but calling back to that story reminds us like Daphne's a character who has had to make these compromises on the one hand and there's like a sadness there but also like a character who budges and survives not a character who ends up in that heap literally or figuratively even if there is the emotional heap in a moment before she kind of pulls herself back together well and and is the one who has the illegitimate kid out of everyone on the so do show, you is that but- is that your read on that both of you because that's obviously yes, the incredibly 100%. popular theory 100 percent. i think they they laid some breadcrumbs on that yeah. one yeah theo james said in an interview he's like this kid is probably not his kid and i was like oh okay the, the, yeah the 
toothpicking thing was the key. Yeah. The fact that that kind of he was reluctant to come to seconds. the phone. Um, I think that land bridge is so important though because like they're walking across that land bridge to the to the island, mm. and Ethan has to make a conscious decision to yeah. to, to go forward and what that means to become you know because there was an earlier scene uh, a couple episodes ago where Cameron is like everyone cheats. He's like, everyone does. And Ethan asked him like, oh, they do? In a way, not like that's wrong, but like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, is that what everyone does? Okay. You know, and so, yeah, this like seduction. And then also the very beginning, Harper says something about like, is this who we are now? And it's important to remember that Ethan and Harper are so newly rich, right? And so they're under, they're trying to understand and navigate the the morals of this new level of society they found themselves in and finding themselves seduced into this reality. You know, they've said throughout the season, I don't lie to you. I always tell the truth. I always tell the truth. I don't lie to you. I never lie. I never lie. I never lie. And then they find out at the end that like- Never true. Well, but that's that's not- the the path to happiness, at least not at this level of of society they found themselves in. Well, just FYI, they break up in about a year. Great. They, they, they're not making it. And <laughs> who makes it, who makes it further? Cameron and Daphne or Ethan and Harper? Cameron and Daphne are, they, they never break up. They would have okay. broken up by now. I don't know. He mentioned Mal, uh, she mentioned Maldives. He mentioned scuba diving. That's the dateline plot that we heard at the beginning of the season. He might be dead next vacation. Season five, <laughs> season five, we circle back. By the way, if they want to come back for season three, wonderful. Yeah. Daphne and Cameron. I had a couple more winners. Okay. Theo James. I think should be somebody who leads stuff. Like to me, like we're always talking about, Hey, let's find more stars mm. who could be lead actors, who could be somebody who can carry a movie or whatever. Like that guy's bringing everything to the table. He's there's a charisma to him. I thought he was great. I thought this episode, particularly he was great. I would have him. All right. Um, another winner just to shift course a little bit. Scammers. So yes. scammers were the big winner of the show, right? The the well, me and Lucia. There's but a then bowl we also, full of dead dead scammers, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> went, went better for some than for others. But Greg, Greg yeah. ends up getting what he wants. He had to get out of the prenup, and he he needed Tanya to die, right? Even if it was a roundabout way, and all the people that he hired to do this. But there's a odds are season three, Greg comes in with Tanya's fortune. So. The two people that really won were me and Lucia and Greg. If you're just talking about who actually won wealth from this season, so I don't know what what Mike White said about that. Do you want to know my favorite? My uh, so Mike White gave this great interview on Fresh Air with Terry Gross, and he was talking about like his various inspirations for the season. There's a lot, as Mal has talked about before, uh, Survivor DNA in here, obviously. But he talked about how he thought of Lucia and Mia as the Laverne and Shirley of the of the season. Oh, that's great! And how like Laverne and Shirley were always trying to like break their way into a party they weren't invited to. So like. <laughs> To watch these girls like shlemiel shlemazzle their way down the street at the end of yeah. the season, I was just like absolutely thrilled. I I was so happy. Yeah. Well, you could tell you could tell he was happy too. Everything. So Mia ends up the beginning. She's I don't know pretty pretty kind of thrown off by the whole scene, right? By the end, she's got a job in the hotel. She's got as much confidence as Lucia does, and then Lucia pulls off. The scam, which I don't, do you think Albie know, knew the whole time? What, what's your take, Mal, on deep down, 
does he know what's going on and this is just his way to get back at his dad? Well, it's not like he is in a position where he can't consider the possibility because his his dad literally says to him, how are you going to make it in life if you're this big of a mark? <laughs> when right. he asks him for the money. <laughs> I love Israel's delivery of that. I thought yeah, it, was it was so great. good. He was fantastic in the finale, I thought. Like, fantastic. Yeah, I and agree. I really hope that this Agreed. is his grand return to our lives because I missed him. This was a delight. And in the finale, and like the quiet moment where he's just looking at the photos and crying alone in his hotel room. Devastating and agonizing. But this conversation with Albie, little things, the way he's like playing with his phone, the anxiousness of being called out like by someone who sees him really clearly because he is kind of that person too. This question of change across the generations. I think Albie has to, you know, his dad's just saying to him like, this is a con. You're being conned. Like you don't see this. So he's definitely aware that it's possible. And I think the fact that the second he wakes up and sees that Lucia isn't there and has heard the door click, he's like, fuck. And then says to- He's like, oh, dad was right. yeah, Yeah, says to Portia at the airport, yeah, she played me like he it, it, it had to be there on some level in his mind as a possibility, but he didn't want to believe it could be true because even though he said to Portia at that dinner earlier in the season, like, you know, women like to say that they want a nice man, but they they don't. And this was this possibility that maybe like this, it could be true that the fact that he was kind, as Lucia told him, would be this great virtue and this thing that made him not only sweet, but genuinely desirable, like would be real it's like also the thing that made him so easy to play, so easy to fool. Like he wanted to be fooled. He wanted somebody to want him for that reason. They had the two different versions of the same getting played, right? He has his version. She, Portia has her version where this guy, Jack, who just gets less attractive and more awful by the day. Finally, like they're hanging out, whatever location She's like, I got to take a shit. And then Unbelievable. We'll go get some more drinks. You didn't think it was romantic when he said, I got to take a shit. And then, like, and then I'm going to get you a drink so you can epic. chill out. That was a yeah. Oh my God. Tranquilo. You need Tranquilo. to tranquilo. Is what he said. I thought yeah, it yeah. was great. I thought it was a great idea to have them run into each other at the airport and be like, yeah, let me get your number. I maybe, loved that. maybe like my whole fantasy of how my time, maybe this is the safer version of it. We could turn into the next Cameron and Daphne. But that's again, like it's all of a piece, right? Because like, it's really this thing that Portia didn't want you know I wish that he would just like get my heart rate up more she has like I think one of the things that you you both have I've really loved hearing you talk about all season long is like the danger of a fantasy or the way that the pursuit yeah. of the fantasy can kind of mislead you and like there's wisdom there but I think like this is what's so uh, like intellectually and emotionally compelling about the end of this show is I think for every single character you can say like there's something sort of uh, aspirational about where they end up and then something like pretty devastating like there's this with with Albie and Portia there's this part of it that's like oh yeah this thing that maybe you didn't think was right for you maybe there's something there and there's kind of something nice about that or comforting about being able to like make this progress in your life and make your way back towards somebody but like Portia was just not into this guy and like breaking out of a bad habit cool progress but like she didn't want this. Also, Portia's never, like, she's never going to be okay with the fact that she, like, made the decision to go to the airport rather than do everything she could to try to 
save Tanya. Not that like Tanya earned her loyalty in any regard, but it's just sort of like, but that's a big decision she made to not act more than she did. I mean, she did something. She called Tanya. That was something, but I loved it. Yeah. She shows up with her. She's got the cheesy disguise on and then (laughs) scarf around a hat. What was that disguise? I don't know. By the way, Albie Albie tells her like, yeah, they found right. Oh, yeah. This one of the guests is dead and then this boat blew up. Yeah, and she's not like, I'll be right back. I'm going to the police to share all of my information. No. She's like, she was like, oh my God, I, I hope Tiny's okay because well, Tiny was awful. And I mean, like yeah. Mike White's explanation post episode is sort of like, it's possible she's so rattled and scared. Right. I mean, and it was scary when Jack was oh like, God, yeah. these are scary people. Absolutely. Get mm. the fuck out of here. You know what I mean? So, But also when she called Tanya to say, hey, I have this really bad feeling that like something terrible is happening. What was Tanya's response? It was like, wait, Who's in danger, you or me? Like, that was Tanya's genuine response. Was like, wait, if it's you, we're probably five. Is it me? That was, like, horrifying. No, but also when Tanya, yeah, and Tanya's like, oh, it's just my lot in life. Well, um, I feel two ways about it, right? She's talking about, she's like, it's my lot in life to have assistance and they, like, steal medication from me and disappear. And I'm like, well, that is literally what happened. That is true. That is literally what happened. But at the same time, like, we've watched the way that she treats these people who work with and for her right. this entire time. So, and that despite all that, Portia was actually trying to make her way back to her the whole time. I thought Tanya was such a greatly developed character. Like th- just her narcissism would just pop out even at the end when she's standing over Quentin, who's bleeding to death. And she's like, was Greg having an affair? Unbelievable. <laughs> what was going yeah. on? Like, it's just like, of course, of course that was going to be a thing. And I just want to say a plus delivery of Tom Holland for like the way that the blood dribbled out of his mouth. Yeah. As he was no, dying. Was great. Another winner for me just quickly is I, Tom Holland. Haley, Haley Lou Richardson. Yeah. I thought she, I look that character in the wrong hands might not have been great because I thought that was, Probably the hardest one to pull off by the end of it, when it seems like she's going to get killed by Jack for about five minutes there and she's interrogating him and she's like, what's going on? Are you going to kidnap me? And they, they, I thought there was like some real drama and it felt like a really good lifetime movie for like two minutes. They're like, oh my God, they're not going to kill Portia. Um, I thought she did a good job and I've liked her and other stuff too, but it made me, um, excited to see what's next for her the next couple of years. Cause I thought that was a really cool character. And I don't, I don't know if that if in the wrong hands, I just don't know if that character would have worked the same way. Well, I think I, and I, what I really love is the juxtaposition, like to go back to that fantasy theme, Mal, like that juxtaposition of her fantasy of like, I want someone to like throw me yeah. on a bed. And then mm. later we see her just like locked under Jack's arm yeah. in that bed. Like, you know, knowing that he's taken her phone, knowing that she's somewhere where she doesn't really speak the language and has no way of getting away right you know um i i thought that was the perfect distillation of even even better i think than the degrasso uh l- women screaming at uh you know f Murray abraham <laughs> yeah. i thought this was a better uh you know cold wake-up call to the danger of a fantasy i thought it was mm. really good build your portion point i was i think most afraid watching the Porsche jack scenes like really had like a tightness in my chest that like something truly yeah. terrible was about to happen and just in terms of the mystery of it all, like we've all talked about this a lot. You guys have talked about this a lot all season long. Like not watching White Lotus 
for the mystery, but I think it's just such a value add of like being able to parse the theories and consider all of the possibilities. And to the final moments of the finale, there were 30 different outcomes that I could, I would have easily believed. And I think would have been that we would have had the, the groundwork mm. laid to like support any possible outcome of like who got killed or how, or what led to that moment. And like the tension that you're feeling in those Portia Jack moments was just really supreme and pretty sad. And like, I don't know, you know, Portia calling Tanya is what, when it finally clicks for Tanya. And I think that's so interesting too. Cause like, to your point about the missing phone and things like that, Portia really quickly pieces together. And even before that, the day prior, she starts, something's like she's feeling it's not right. Like she can sense and deduce that something is not as it should be. Tanya's holding a photo of her husband in her hand as Quentin says, uh, that's, uh, let me think. What's the like <laughs> the dude's Steve. name? Uh, yeah, Steve. Steve. How about, should we go with Steve? Uh, that's Steve not Greg. It's Steve. Right? Steve's like, oh, interesting. It's like uncanny. <laughs> he looks just like Greg. Wow. Yeah. You can have the evidence in your hand that someone is fooling you. And if like you're, you're willing to tell yourself that it's not true in pursuit of that fantasy, then you can do that until the very last second where you no longer can. Well, I like Portia. She says to Jack yeah. when he's like my job and she's like, yeah. how am I your job? Though that, that whole part right. was really good. But before that, when she calls Tanya, where she's like, ah, I meant to tell you this. Uh, he was kind of fucking his uncle. <laughs> she's like, I know you like him. I just couldn't bear to tell you. And you're like, I don't know. That might be the moment where Portia's like, maybe I don't owe this woman anything. She wouldn't even tell me that, right? I had that as a loser. Yeah. Um, not telling someone right away if you saw their new boyfriend yeah. fucking his uncle. I think we all learned like maybe... Maybe volunteer that information a tiny bit sooner. I also think as a loser, going back to Italy to see your ancestors feels like the bloom is off that rose. Uh, <laughs> you were asking um, last last week, I think, Bill, that like whether or not this was um, you know something Mike White had experienced. And he was talking about how he did take a trip with his dad. I think they're Swedish. Like he did take a trip with his dad. His dad, of course, that he famously did the Amazing Race with. There's a lot of stuff around his dad in this season because um, first of all, his dad, there's, you know, this whole like very famous story about his dad being um, a, a, you know, a religious person and then coming out and discovering that he's like gay um, when Mike White was like 11. So like later in life, his dad discovers that he's gay and then like all the things that their family went through. So I really see a lot of that in the Valentina character, this like enormous amount of empathy for someone discovering, like coming in touch with their sexuality later in life. Um, and then also with Bert, I mean, Mike White talked very emotionally on Fresh Air about his dad has very recently sort of slid into dementia. And so this idea of Bert's confusion, I think, and the and the multi-generational uh like the, the these men and their relationship and their shared trauma and their patterns and all that sort of like that strikes me as like Mike White taking this like overblown operatic we're in Sicily all this stuff is happening stuff and also permeating it with all this very personal stuff that he's working through with his own family which is I think why you have this like spine in these hugely overblown fantastical scenarios you have this spine of emotional authenticity and that's what that's, that's what makes White Lotus so compelling you know that keeps it tethered um, to earth. So I have Bert and F Murray Abraham as a winner 
Our Achilles heel is our Achilles cock. <laughs> it's like a Greek curse. Just, just unbelievable. Bert, Bert didn't have a, they didn't run a lot of plays for Bert in the season, se- in the uh, episode seven, but episode six was kind of his big episode. But, um, I thought it was an important character. I really liked the theme of like, you kind of turn into your parents, <laughs> you know, like that. That little brief scene in the airport was really important. It's like, I'll be screwed. He's just going to end up like these guys. He's going to be just as unhappy as these other two. And this is how it's going to play out. Right. He's He's got his, like, his mask of virtuosity. But yeah. then, like, he makes right. this deal with his dad where he's like, right. $50,000. And I'll put, a, get in a good, put in a good word with you with mom. You know, and you're like, oh, wow. You're just, just the... <laughs> Ideal male feminist. Thank yeah. you, Albie, for everything Definitely. that you do. He's going to get into the Godfather. <laughs> He's going to really start to appreciate yeah. it. It's going to be fine for him. That with with Albie and Dom was another great example of that. Like almost like how are we as viewers supposed to feel? What is the message of the show? You two have talked about this all season. Like what is the morality of White Lotus and how we kind of track and unfurl that episode after episode? And like there's a part in that first exchange between Albie and Dom when Albie goes over and asks for the money. I think Lucia could have asked for more, by the way. Just throw that out there. But, but like, where you're, and this, this you, the other thing you've been talking about all season long is this transactional nature of sex and interaction, right? And so like, yeah. Yeah, sex between father and son, but there's a transactional nature here to like, the, the way forward, not only for their relationship, the two of them, but their family at large, you do this for me, this thing that you don't want to do and think is wrong. I will do this thing for you that I have told you before I don't want to do and think is wrong, right? We think back to that Godfather trip and like Albie saying men love the Godfather because they feel emasculated by modern society. Like, like you're saying falling into this pattern and this thing that he has pretty actively rejected. And there's a part of us that like doesn't want that for any of these characters to do these things that like they on some level don't want to do and think is wrong. But I have to say like <laughs> when... Dom told Albie that he transferred the money and then Albie said, and he's like, you know, this isn't why I did it, but if you want to do this thing and then Albie's like, I already did it. And then says, I love you. And then kisses Bert on the head. I was like pretty moved by all of that. Like, yes, on the one hand, they have made Mm. these compromises with themselves and there's something that is sort of dismaying about that. But on the other hand, like, and we have those three, the three head turns, as you said, and there's this question of like what you pass down and whether you can really change and how you break out of that cycle. We see these signs of change for Dom, but then we see this passbound behavior for Albie. But like those three people are in a better place together now than they were when they set out for the trip. And like there's a little seed of promise inside of the other stuff. Mm. There's, I mean, there's catharsis in the way in which, I mean, certainly. Dom calling his father out on his bullshit. You know what I mean? Like they are having conversations about the, the damage that was done in their family generationally that they didn't have before this trip. So there is, you know, there is this sort of like, uh, in vacation, in, in vacation, veritas sort of thing. And then like coming out starting on the other side, but I do think ultimately, uh, you know, and, and Mike White talked about this in the post episode yes. uh, package where he was like, there's a spark of hope that Bert can make like, uh, that Dom can make like some sort of 
measure of change. What did you guys make of, just really quickly, this is very frivolous, but what did you make of the fact that like, yeah. we already talked about how Laura Dern is the voice of the wife, but he's looking at photos and it's like some other actress, like as, as the <laughs> wife. Bill, did your heart sink? You're like, oh no, we're not getting Laura Dern the way I wanted her in the finale. Maybe we'll get her in a different way in season three. Ooh, I love that. I would love that. I have, uh, speaking of all those guys, as one of the losers of this show, uh-huh. men? Mm. Like the the females are the ones that really win in all these different ways in season two. And I, like, who, who got the W's out of the dudes? Anybody? As you said, for now, Greg. Greg, that's it. The, we'll the see. The piano player. <laughs> nope. Um The three generations. The three generations are closer, but really like Albie goes from complaining about the Godfather at the beginning of the trip to by the end of it, he's just checking out chicks in the airport. Um, you go through Cameron and Ethan. Ethan's, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad he had a night of good sex with his wife, but he's coming out of this completely damaged. Cameron, who the fuck knows where that guy's life is going? I don't know. It just seems like you think like me and Lucia, um, I think Portia probably ends up as fucked up as that week it was. I think it was probably like a decent experience for on down the line, Daphne. Um, Harper's probably in a better place, but it seems like the woman won. Um, maybe, maybe Jack is now out from under the thumb of, I'm out of my hole. I gotta go take a shit. And and maybe, uh, you know, maybe we can just celebrate that Rocco is back on the front desk with his bride to be as well. Rocco, big winner. You know, Rocco. (laughs) Simple couple. Uh, another loser prenups. Because now this would make me not want to have a prenup if it's like, well, if you die, they get anything anyway. Now, now I'd be scared. I don't have a prenup. Couldn't you just take care of that in your will? If I mysteriously yeah. die? It just seems like if you're going to, I don't know. I, I'm not a legal expert, no. nor do I have half a billion <laughs> dollars like Tanya. But it seems to me like if you were going to go through the trouble of setting up a prenup, uh, you might also amend your will to account for some sort mm, of fair eventuality such as this. I don't know. Though I guess the idea is that if she died of natural causes whatever the case may be, and they had actually gone on to live together happily that she would want Greg to have her money. Well, you could say this was probably not natural causes. Three people dead on a boat, and then she fell to her death and was found drowned. They don't know how it happened. Um, Pretty suspicious. another winner for me. (laughs) uh, Sam Stryker on Twitter, a tweet that has almost 85,000 likes at this point, he tweeted city should have to bid to host the next season of the white Lotus, like the Olympics. You think like the San Domenico palace, which was another winner of this. Now it's like, that's, I'd never heard of that. Now it's like, that would be one of the hotels I would want to go to. It would be funny if cities and hotels did bid on season three. (laughs) Like you figure for the next location, I have no idea where it's going to be, but they could go like African safari or they could go like a glamping. They could go to some fancy like outdoor thing or you just go super luxurious again. You go to the Bahamas or you go to St. Bart's. Um, Maybe you go to, there could be like a Thailand thing. Like where, where, um, what was that Naomi Watts movie where there's a tsunami that could do like a thing like that. Um, (laughs) I don't know. Where, where do you see them going next year, Joetta? Um, I, someone emailed me and suggested Singapore. And I really like that as like, because Mike White, yeah, just talked about sort of Eastern religion, which I have questions about Mike White tackling yeah. Eastern religions. I have some questions about that. But um, 
But, you know, if you're talking about like super luxe, um, you know, there there are a lot of possibilities, but Singapore is a really interesting well, broke one. broke down palace, of, maybe get Claire Danes back. Uh, yeah, get, call Kate Beckinsale. What is she doing? Delighting me on Instagram, but she could delight me in a uh, season of White Lotus. So, you know. Now, I'm a, I'm a little worried wow. about religion as a theme for season three. Can we stick with money and sex? Do we, do we have to go down that road? Yeah. He said death at least, but I just got a little worried about it. and take like poking at Easter religion. I was like, I yes, have some the idea of like satire. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Singapore would be great. Thailand would be great. I, I'm still, you know, Daphne threw out the Maldives and I agree. I would love to spend more time with Daphne. So I'm, I'm, I'm up for, for Maldives season. I think personally, I'm really invested in a winter white lotus. Like, I don't think that's going to happen, at least not next. But oh, like a ski white lotus. Yeah. A ski oh, lodge white lotus is great. very appealing to me. I want people nestled by the fire. I want- So like in Switzerland or somewhere? Like some some crazy European ski location? Yeah, let's hit the Alps. Let's hit the Alps. And I think I like Mike, like, Mike White floated at one point, like the idea of doing a political convention- at one of these hotels. So like, I love the idea of like, obviously that's not next season, I guess, because he's on the, but what was fascinating to me is that he wanted, he was going to do sort of high powered corporate money power was his idea for season two. And then they scouted the location in Mm -hmm. Sicily. And when he got to the location, he was like, Oh no, this is this, this is the sex season. And it was just sort of like, Oh, that's so fascinating to me to be, to have your season determined by the location that you scouted. You're like, Oh, the theme will be this. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. I I want Mike White to know something. If he's saying the words, this is the sex season, Mally Rubin blind in. Does that they say no more? Do you <laughs> need to say one other thing? Um, couple quotes before I want to do MVP ballots and then we'll go. I loved when Cameron did the whole, he's, what was he saying? Like, if you might succeed, you'll cause harm to all the sad losers of the world. He's doing that. And then Harvey Plass is like, you're yeah. an idiot. Um, yeah, I love that part. I loved it. Ethan and Daphne, when she says, you don't have to know everything to love someone. A little mystery is kind of yeah. sexy. You do whatever you have to do not to feel like a victim in life. Just use your imagination. Followed by a little island boinking. Um, I enjoyed that. We mentioned our Achilles here is our Achilles cock. It's like a Greek curse. Uh, Tour de force. Yeah, that's it. All right, MVP. So, Joanna, in our in our little weird sports world that Mallory and I live in. Come on. <laughs> we have most valuable players at the end of the season. We argue about these most valuable players well before the season ends. We're doing it right now in the NFL. There's four weeks left and people are arguing about whether Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes, which one of those two are the MVP. There's four games left. We still argue about it. That's what we do. This one, the season's over. I'm going to give you, I think we should go around the horn. We'll each go our number one MVP. Maybe we'll do a top three. Is it character or Or actor? Yeah. It can be whatever you want. It, or I guess if it's character, it's got to be character slash actor. Let's say that. So if you're picking whoever, you got it. So my MVP, I think, is Daphne and Megan Fahey. I yeah. think she won the season. She was the most interesting from beginning to end. I think in real life, she ended up in a better place. I never really totally figured her out. I figured out all the characters on the show except her. There was more layers. There was more things to peel. 
And that's my vote. What do you have, Joanna? I'm going to pull a Mallory Rubin sheet and go for, go for the double team of me and Lucia. <laughs> okay. Uh, some, Simona Tabasco and Beatrice Grano. And what I loved finding out is that these two women are have been like best friends in real life for 10 years and they auditioned together. Oh, and wow. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. And their chemistry was just so like palpable and charming in the way that, I mean, like, I think we can, each of us make a good case here because the season opens with Daphne. Like Mike White is obviously very interested in Daphne and it closes with me and Lucia. Um, and I, yeah. Mal, I, I had them as number two on my ballot. What do you have for number one? I'll go, I'll go with a duo as well. Cause I think this season was so much about relationships and those dynamics. I am going to go with Daphne and, and Cameron mm. as my MVP of the season. Just every single scene was a banger. There was simply not a moment that wasn't incredibly entertaining with the two of them and any other any other character they were with, any setting they were in. So uh, I, I think they have to be the pick. You know what? That's a good point because I think when you know a TV show when like a plot or direction has really hit with a character or two characters, when you could be like, they could easily spin these two off into their own show. And I would 100% watch the pilot. You don't want to be at a, a holiday party with the dark triad of Cameron's firm. <laughs> you like, don't want to watch- sign me up. <laughs> Fucking immediately. Yeah. You don't want to watch me and Lucia scam rich dummies. I would watch the that coast too. I do. They also would have been my, my, they also would have been my, they're my runner up as well. I love them. Yeah. There's two spinoff pots that I would watch absolutely an entire season. Yeah. I would watch them and I would definitely watch Cameron and Daphne back in the real world and her like, all right, I'm going to go, I'm going to go work out with my trainer, Johnny. <laughs> oh, no. uh, all right. So I have me and Lucia as my number two. Who'd you have for number two, Joanna? Uh, Daphne. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we all have the same one and yeah. two in some order, basically. Okay. You, so you had me right. Lucia. Yeah. My uh, my number three, the San Domenico Hotel. I I think <laughs> oh, the location well. was incredibly important. Just Sicily and yeah, just everything oh, yeah. about it. I loved. Go. We talked about going to see where the Godfather, where Apollonia died. I thought they used Italy perfectly. Italy became a character in all the right ways. And then there was like this whole Sicily thing that they did. What was the, what was the movie they ripped off in episode three, like shot by shot, Joanna? Oh, La Ventura. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they had that also like not an awesome idea to mess with the locals in Sicily. I think that theme was banged home as well, but just in general, that would be my number three, the, the hotel resort and Italy. What do you have for number three? Um, Mallory and I like, I'm I'm just going to answer your your point really quickly and say Mallory and I love to talk about the closed captioning on shows. There was a yeah. good old Mount Etna erupting closed captioning erupting. that was yeah. really fantastic <laughs> in this episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also got some nice kisses yes. and moans. Mm. My you favorite love subtitle. Kisses and moans. Uh, <laughs> love a kisses and moans. Um, yeah. I'm going to give. He came in late, but he never bored me for one single solitary second or look. It's Tom Hollander as Quentin. Yeah, I thought it was incredible. Yeah. Fantastic. He was absolutely fantastic. He was great. He'll he'll be so the best supporting actor category. Yeah. I think Ooh. he's tough one for I this. I think he season. is a yeah. absolute lock. Have you did you ever see Hannah with uh Saoirse Ronan? He plays a great, terrifying Euro trash sociopath in that. Uh and I really should have been thinking about that performance when analyzing what Quentin was up to in the season. Is he your number three, Mel? Who's your number three? I'm torn between, between 
Quentin as a character and the Michael Imperioli comeback. Oh. Yeah. Which I just I think was amazing. And like even it's interesting to even think back to like think back to your first pod that you two did where it's like, is he playing himself? Is he playing a character? Right. And that was a question for like many of the performers who were cast in the show. And like, I don't know. I was just it was wonderful to be back yeah. with him for a season of TV. And like, I guess you could even then pan back from that and just say like the casting. Maybe my pick is the casting because it's of a piece with what you're saying about location, like these ingredients that you have, the fashion, the location, the casting, like the alchemy of a white Lotus season is one of the most kind of incredibly precise things happening in TV right now. It's kind of amazing. Like you miss a couple of these ingredients and the entire thing is off. Right. But every person you just like look back now at the season as a whole. And it's like, yes, this was, I mean, I know you, you two don't feel that way about, my beloved Ethan. But other he, than Ethan that. Ethan was fine. Like, it was just he wasn't. Was yeah, he was, was surpassed. It was great. The casting was, I'm going with casting. Yeah. In real time. I'm amending. Casting. Your Imperioli point, I was thinking about this in the in the last episode, was um, it was kind of like an acoustic performance by him of, of Christopher. Like at the end, he really stripped it down by the end because the first couple episodes, he's dialing it up and it's like, oh my God, this guy might go off the rails. And by the end, there's like a weird piece to him that I liked. Um, as you, as you both know, I'm a Sopranos expert. So, um, I, yeah. <laughs> what a hole. No. It makes me so mad. Um, my number four, I'll just give you my four and five. I have, I have Tanya slash Coolidge is four and I have Quentin as, as five. Yeah. Okay. Tanya is definitely has to be there, um, as well. And then, oh, you know what? She really came around for me. It wasn't working at the beginning. So I just want to give her a shout here at the end is, uh, Sabrina Impacciatore is Valentina. I thought Valentina at the end, mm. like the, the whole arc of her character, I was really swept away by. Yeah, they landed the plane on that. <sighs> no love for Giuseppe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that that one, I, th- I felt like that could have gone either way. And I mean, that's like one one of the things about this season is I don't, I don't feel like they botched anything. There was no, usually with these shows, there's no. that one, uh, wish they, they could have done that differently. Didn't really happen in this one. All right. White Lotus season two. Last question. You could take one character from season two and bring them to season three. So Mm -hmm. Greg is on the table here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to keep keep the Tanya ties. I think it's interesting with Greg. I wonder, you know, because I know for a fact when they did season one, they thought it was one season. That's it, right? Then they decide. I wonder, like, if if Greg, if they had a do over on the Greg actor, all due respect to that guy, but he's like the, that guy. I wonder if they would have gone a little more hardcore with that actor and done maybe not like Brad Pitt, but maybe like one level below. That's a, that's one of those like Law and Order casting spoilers. If you cast. <laughs> If you cast Brad Pitt as Greg, we're like, well, well, Greg's going definitely gonna be heard. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's got to be like one notch below that, but definitely a higher level than the guy who played Greg, because Greg is now, you know, somebody that could be a foundational piece. But my my pick, I I said it earlier, would be Daphne. I would have her come back with two friends from camp. It would be the greatest moment of Juliet's life. <laughs> um, they're reconnecting. They haven't seen each other in twenty years, and there we go. So, who would you pick, Joe? Um, let's say Mia gets a transfer to a different White Lotus property and she is the singer in a different White Lotus bar. Oh, in Singapore? Mm Mm-hmm. Or in Switzerland in the Alps? Yes. 
I think she would look great in faux fur. Mia. Okay. I'm going with Portia. Oh. Portia ends up at the political convention, (laughs) at the business conference in our ski lodge in the Alps in season three. And uh, maybe through Portia, we get the necessary update (laughs) on Greg to just close that loop. But we don't necessarily have Greg in season three. I think Portia would be a fun character to, to continue with, though I would be obviously delighted to see Daphne again. So like Portia, like now she's the lead assistant to some tech billionaire who's going to ski with his family on the weekend and she's like a way more corporate version of Portia. Well, that sounds like we'd need a time jump if we got like a way more corporate version of <laughs> Well, we're going to, it's going to be, it will take at least a year and a half, right? Year and a half, two years. I don't know. I mean, I feel like that's one of the things about White Lotus is like you go to a place and you make a season of TV, right? They could do these pretty fast. They turned it out pretty quickly, and it's not a long. And it's not okay. a long season. Um, but I do know that. Yeah, it's. Um, I think that Mike White said he wanted to like stay closer to home, like to be near his dad right now. So I don't know if they're like going to film, you know, closer closer to California or something like that. Now, what if they what if they merged Cameron and Daphne? Mike White just passed them off. To the lady who did the affair. <laughs> I mean. And then the affair comes back. <laughs> Sign me up. That would be absolutely wonderful. Boy. I th- I could see them in Montauk. Absolutely. Yeah. They moved to the Hamptons. Do you guys get checks from Showtime for like. No, we do it. Single-handedly we do it, it purely for the pleasure of loving the affair. <laughs> purely Listen, for the pleasure. Jelena, the saddest moment in the history of the Prestige TV podcast is when me and Mallory do season one of The Affair as an entire Hall of Fame season, and we just break down every single episode. Oh, my God. You have to to call me me. in as a pinch hitter for Joshua Jackson scenes. All right, so that's it for The White Lotus. We have, um, I guess we have Yellow Jackets coming in March. When is Succession coming, Joanna? Uh, I heard spring. And then The Last of Us we're going to blow out next month on this mm-hmm. feed. So be ready for that. Mally Rubin, it was an absolute pleasure. Joanna Robinson, you're my White Lotus companion. Chris <laughs> Sutton, it was uh, it was great to have you produce this episode. Thanks to everybody who is listening. Go listen to Mallory and Joanna on the House of R on the Ringerverse feed as well. And we will see you next time on the White Lotus. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
you might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong. But these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.